Um, I'll be reading from Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14, up there. Um, yeah. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for, for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will gather you from all the nations and, and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place which I carried you into exile. Go ahead and be seated. Good morning, everyone. Uh, there was, uh, as Carl mentioned, last week we had the, uh, the Gallatin Valley Rally and Shepherds Network hosted here in the valley. And we had um, the largest number of people here in the assembly that we've had in years. Uh, just a huge group. Some of them were out of town. We had a bunch of guests that were uh, heard what was happening here. And we were, had chairs set up all over the place and packed. And I'll, I'll share some, uh, just a few things, and just the great success of, of what happened here last weekend. There was uh, a few of the presenters, Everett Hufford, Carlos Gupton, Jason Thompson, uh, all shared with me at some point in time, pulled me aside, said, Chris, you know, this was, you know, we were here to, to teach on uh, some shepherding and use, hopefully, our... What we see is a, a people that is full of faith. We see tremendous things that, that is happening with you guys. And I remember um, one of the things that they mentioned. Um, am I echoing too much? So one of the things they mentioned was, I uh, said, what we were, uh, something we noticed, and Carlos mentioned this. He said, I noticed that you had a bunch of teenagers that were, were sitting up front and then you had people all around, and everybody was singing together. Everybody seemed really excited to be here. And that was part of our design, is have a youth rally component and then have people that were uh, elders in the church and families. And so you had all the intergenerations mixing together. And he said, something I noticed is you had all these teenagers that were there. When it was time to sing, you saw their hearts were in it, and they were ready to go. He said, is that how teenagers always are in Montana? I said, we're blessed with amazing young people of faith. And I see that. And that was brought up a few different times. But it was just a, a great time of, of sharing and interaction. And uh, there's numerous people shared with me and said, would you please share with the Belgrade Church how thankful we are and excited we are for you guys hosting these events. And, um, and it was, it was, there was a lot of... I believe a lot of good spiritual fruit that will last for a long time came out of this weekend. The only downside, and here it comes, is uh, afterwards uh, my phone has been blowing up with people contacting me saying, um, uh, after I had been at the Shepherds Network or Gallatin Valley Rally, um, I came down with COVID this last, <laughs> this last part of COVID. And so if you look around and you think, man, where is everybody today? We have a huge 
part of our, our church here is home. They may be watching online, but they are uh, came down with COVID this last week. And fortunately, so far, everyone that has shared any symptoms with me has said that this variant is uh, producing a lot less severe symptoms than the ones before. And so I just pray that God continues to to keep it that way. Um, so that's that's a, a sometimes... You know, the, we shared with that with the people that came and participated. There may be, there may be the virus running around. It was in the valley, and so um, there was some that uh, I'm sure brought it from out of town as well. And so, just continue prayers for for great healing, but most importantly, for God to just continue to work for spiritual healing with our crew here and just people wherever that call on God's name. So we're going to continue on with uh, God's love story, the reading plans we have. If you don't know what those reading plans are, in the foyer there's some you can pick up. But we're started, we started in Genesis in September, and we're going to finish in Revelation. And we're reading portions of Scripture to see God's love story, how he has from the very beginning to the very end of Scripture reached out to mankind, continue to reach out to mankind, and call us closer to himself and restore that broken relationship that we have with our Creator. And so we've been spending the last few weeks in, um, in the prophets. And backing up a little bit, you remember Israel asked for a king, said we want a king so that we can be like the rest of the nations, and that's what we're excited about. And so God allowed them to have a king. And some of the kings were good, that had a great heart for God, like David, like Hezekiah. Uh, but most of them ultimately went after and followed their own hearts and separated themselves from God and ultimately led the nations of Israel and Judah away from God. Now we spent um, some time talking about how that all came about and how Assyria came down and destroyed Samaria and took uh, the people of Israel off into captivity and then Babylon eventually does that. The Babylonian armies come and, and take care, uh, take Jerusalem and take a lot of the, the Hebrews from that area and, and take them into captivity. And so we're spending some time in the prophets. During the adult class this morning, we looked at Isaiah, which lived during the time of four different kings, but he, he, was, the king, he was the prophet during the time when Assyria surrounded Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was certain that they were going to be destroyed at that point in time. But Isaiah was there. People demonstrated some repentance, and God eliminated a huge part of the Assyrian army, and the rest of them went home. And he saved Israel that day. But... Like us, oftentimes spiritual renewal and revival lasts only a short time, and then we go back to some of our own our own ways. And in this particular situation, the Israel, uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, does the same thing, and they go back to some of the same things that they had done before. And so Jeremiah lives during a time when a lot of that sort of thing is happening. People look on the outside like, hey, look, I'm worshiping God. Look how great I am. Look how blessed we are, all this kind of stuff. And Jeremiah is saying, no, you may look good on the outside, but you're rotted inside. What really matters, what God is really concerned about, you don't have at all. And so we're going to look at uh, part of what Jeremiah's message is. And I was talking with someone here a few minutes ago, and uh, the comment was made, if a person reads, if you and I read the prophets which Jeremiah is one of the prophets. We read the prophets, and we are not personally convicted with what the prophets have to say, then we are not listening to what the prophets have to say. Because there's so much there that speaks to our world uh, that we can't help but be convicted and changed by what is being said. So let's talk about Jeremiah's call to start with. Now, Jeremiah is, uh, like I mentioned, we talked about 
um, Isaiah in the adult class. And God asks, who can we send that will speak to the people? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Hey, Jeremiah's call is a bit different. And what happens, it says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appoint you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, and this is Jeremiah speaking, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. Have you heard somebody else say that in Scripture? I don't know how to speak. I don't, I'm not eloquent. I can't say all the right words. Yeah, Moses said that, didn't he, at the burning bush? Yeah, no, God, you got the wrong person. You've got to send somebody else. And God says, no, nope, that's not what's happening. You're, you're the person. And he does the same thing with Jeremiah here. And it says, but the Lord said to me, don't say, I'm too young. I must go to everyone. You must go to everyone. I send you. And say, whatever I command you, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And so God tells, says, Jeremiah, I had a plan for you. You're going to go and you're going to speak to the people. And you, what you have to say, is greater than governments, is greater than kings, is greater than anything else. You are going to be my mouthpiece to the people. And so Jeremiah accepts this, but as he goes along, and I'm going to share some struggles that Jeremiah has along the way, and, um, because he wrestles with the mission that God has given him. Now think about that as you continue on. Part of what Jeremiah is told by God is that you're going to speak and you're going to say these words that I'm going to put in your mouth, but understand that people are not going to listen. Now, how many of you would want to sign up for something like that? I want you to go out and I want you to speak to people and I want you to tell them what God wants for them. But understand, you just need to know up front that they are not going to listen to you. They're going to abuse you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to treat you terribly. How many of you would just sign up for that? Oh, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, that's something I want to do. Okay, sometimes the things that God calls us to, it's not about fun. It's about right. It's about doing what's right. And so Jeremiah, at one point in time, got so discouraged, this is what he says, You deceived me, Lord. I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed me. You, you tricked, okay? You tricked me, God. That's exactly what happened here. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. So Jeremiah is saying, man, God, I think you pulled one on me because I just... I just don't like this. I don't like getting trash-talked all the time. So I'm going to shut my mouth. But when I shut my mouth, it's like this fire in me that I cannot help but speak. And here it comes. And I've got to, I've got to speak. And that's part of the indicative of a call of God, is that I just can't get this out of my bones. I can't change it. I've got to do this because this is right. And Jeremiah finds himself, even though he struggles with the calling that he's been given, he's courageous enough that God has given him this courage that it just boils out of him. He can't help it that that happened. 
Hey, so Jeremiah, I'm going to share a little bit about his own ministry, just the specifics. For example, he is there when exiles start being taken out of, out of Judah by the Babylonians. And he goes and he, at one point in time, we're going to read something called the Jeremiah's Temple Sermon here in just a minute. And after the Temple Sermon happens, he is arrested. He's thrown in prison at one point in time. They throw him in the bottom of a well in a cistern. And he is, uh, he's abused exactly what God said is going to happen. But God says, I'm going to, you're going to overcome them. You're going to be, I'm going to give you power to be able to overcome all that. And so what happens is Jeremiah is there when the city of Jerusalem is taken and is destroyed by the Babylonian armies. And Nebuzaradan, the commander of the army, finds Jeremiah. And this is interesting because it wasn't like the Babylonians didn't know what God's plan was. And Nebuzaradan approaches Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, I know that God has destined for this place to be destroyed and the people to be taken into captivity. He knew. He knew what God had, had called his armies to do. And he says, Jeremiah, I will take you back to Babylon with me or you can go wherever you want. The commander of these armies actually treats Jeremiah better than his own people. And Nebuzaradan is the, the commander of, for Nebuchadnezzar's armies. And what happens is he ends up deciding to stay in Judah, stay with his people and continue to proclaim the words of the Lord. And if you look at, like, for example, chapter 44, it gives an indicator of just how hard the people's hearts had become. Because Jeremiah said, here's the deal. We can live in this land and God will continue to bless us if we do right. If we decide to do wrong, then he's going to punish us. Okay? As a people, that's what's going to happen. And maybe there's not a more poignant uh, rebellion against God in the face of a prophet as you see in Jeremiah chapter 44. Because the people say, Jeremiah, we hear what you're saying. But you know what? We are going to worship idols anyway. We don't care what you have to say. And then the ladies chime in and say, yes, and this is how we're going to worship these gods, and this is what we're going to do. And uh, we know that you're a prophet of God, but we don't care. We are going to worship idols because we want to. You can imagine the discouragement that Jeremiah feels, all the efforts and all the time that he's put in, and that's where the people are at, ultimately. Pretty, uh, pretty rough to read uh, chapter 44 when you read through the ministry of Jeremiah. And, uh, and so what we're going to do today is, Jeremiah is a, a book that, that covers a lot of ground, but one of the most famous things that he does is preach what's called the tabernacle or the temple sermon. And so I'm going to read it. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 7, you can follow along there. And I'm going to, to read uh, from chapter 7, verse 1, down through verse 29. And go ahead and turn your Bibles there. You can, you can follow along. So Jeremiah, what he does is it says that in verse 1 it says, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim his message. Okay, before we go any further, there's a time out. I want us to give some historical background of what's happening here. Now, Jeremiah tells us that he is a Levite, that he descends from the, the priests. Okay, what we, we see when we're reading between the lines is that the town that Jeremiah comes from is where the descendants of Abiathar settled. Now, how many of you remember who Abiathar is? Old Testament scholars, okay? Abiathar is one of the priests that served in the temple during the time of David. And so he was, uh, but he made some very bad mistakes towards the end of David's life. He decided he was going to support the wrong person that was going to become king. And Solomon, and this was prophesied years before, uh, 
at the time, during the time of uh, the, the, the priest Eli, that Eli had a descendant that would not that would be removed from serving in the temple, and so Jeremiah, very likely from the town he comes from, descends from that line. So understand, Jeremiah is a descendant of Aaron. The family that was called to be priests, but the ones that were excluded by Solomon were not allowed to serve as priests from henceforth after that. So think about what that means. As Jeremiah goes to the temple, and he goes up, and he is going to, as God calls him, to preach this message on the steps of the temple. And those other priests that are there that are serving are going to say, Wait a minute, you're from the line of Abiathar. You shouldn't even be here. You don't belong here because your ancestors rebelled. It's kind of like... Korah, if you descend from Korah and you're a Levite, then there's a bit of a stain on your name because remember what Korah did during the rebellion all those years ago. Jeremiah comes from a line like that. And so here Jeremiah is called to go up on the steps and speak to the people, speak to the religious leaders, the priests, that aren't going to like him anyway just because of his last name or the family that he comes from. Automatically, immediately, they're going to be turned off by what he has to say. But you know, God has a way of doing that, doesn't he? Is that God uses people that we wouldn't expect to bring the message of God forth. Okay, go ahead and look at verse 2. It says, Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says Reform your ways, your actions, and and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust. Now this term comes up several times, and notice it. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Isn't this, this temple beautiful? Isn't this temple wonderful? Isn't it amazing? If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, and these three categories of people come up over and over again in the prophets. Don't oppress the foreigner the fatherless, or the widows. These are people that are disadvantaged. They must be taken care of. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I give your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. And so Jeremiah is telling the people, he said, wait a minute, look, God, God is watching, as he says here in just a minute, and if you repent and you do the things that he's called you to do, then he's going to let you live here. If not, it's going to be great destruction. And you can imagine the people, as they're looking around, saying, what are you talking about, Jeremiah? We're fine. We're going to church. We're going to the temple. What more do you want from us? Leave us alone. You know, you're talking about all this stuff. Come on. Jeremiah, trusting in what... This is the temple, the temple, the temple. Okay, the temple's here. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it amazing? God has put his name here. What on earth do you think is going to happen, Jeremiah? Verse 9, he says, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, We are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. In other words, we're coming into the temple so that we can punch our card, so that we're good, we're fine, everything else is good. But when we're outside of here, we're going to act however we want. We're going to be involved in, in whatever, stealing, murder, adultery, all these kind of things. But just as long as we come here and we punch our card, we're good to go. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers for you? You recognize that phrase, den of robbers? 
Remember Jesus goes to the temple and they're buying and selling there in the temple grounds. He says, you've made this place a den of robbers. This is what he's referring to. Jeremiah's temple sermon. <laughs> you know, there's, you've made this place. It's like this is a place where robbers can, can uh, have safe haven. Um, and that's, that's not what God ever intended. He says, but I have been watching, declares the Lord. You think I'm missing what's going on here? Do you think I don't know what goes on in the darkness and the shadows, all of that in your hearts? I'm watching all of this, and I know exactly what's going on. But it's almost like the analogy I thought of, it's almost like the Israelites are, are doing something like this. Now, all of us who have kids or have been kids at some point in time have an interaction that's something like this, where the child says, you won't do that to me, you won't discipline me because it will make you look bad, right? How many of you have been guilty of saying that at some point in time, right? We do that as people. You won't discipline me because this is going to make you look bad. And the Israelites essentially are saying the same thing. He's not going to destroy the temple because how is that going to make God look? If this is the temple that bears his name, the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, he's not going to destroy it. He's not going to discipline us. What are you thinking? What's going on here? That's not what's going to happen. Look at verse 12. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave you and your ancestors. I will, trust, I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. Hey, Shiloh is a place where God had his tabernacle for a while. And if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 4, what happens at Shiloh is the Philistine armies come in, the Israelites are going to fight against them, and two of Eli's sons take the Ark of the Covenant, and they go and they take it out there and say, hey, we're going to have the Ark of the Covenant with us, and we're going to go and we're going to do battle with the Philistines, and everything's going to be just hunky-dory. But what happens is God allows the Philistines to rout the Israelites, and they take the Ark of the Covenant and they steal it. And Eli falls over backwards and he, he, he dies uh, of shock because of hearing about the ark being taken. And, and so, in essence, what God is saying here is that, wait a minute, I've done this before. You think I'm not going to discipline you just because you've got this holy temp, this temple here that I gave you? You think I'm not going to discipline you because of that? It's almost like the child saying to the parent, you won't discipline me because it's going to make you look bad. And the parent says, you want to watch me? You want to watch me? I will embarrass myself if it means your spiritual well-being. And that's exactly what God is saying here is, you think I haven't allowed my name to be destroyed in the eyes of some in order to discipline you? I allowed the Philistines to steal the ark and take it. You think I'm not going to allow people to come here and destroy the temple just because you think that's somehow going to make me look bad? No, that's not how this works. Watch me. Verse 16, so do not pray for this people. And God's speaking to Jeremiah here. Jeremiah is sharing with the people there. Do not speak, do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. Do not, do you not see what they are doing in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers light the fire, and the women knead the dough and make cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. 
They pour out drink offerings to other gods and arouse my anger. But I am the one they are, but am I the one they're provoking, declares the Lord? Are they not rather harming themselves to their own shame? In other words, the whole family's involved in this. And so they'll come to the temple, they'll make their sacrifices there, they'll talk about honoring God, and then they will go right back and they will offer the sacrifices to these other idols that are no gods at all. And a little further down in chapter 7, he talks about how you guys have allowed your sons and daughters to pass through the fire. He's talking about human sacrifices. You have allowed your own family members to be sacrificed for these gods. You think that, that never even, it says, it never even entered God's mind. God never wanted that sort of thing. Verse 20, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, on man and beast, on the trees of the field and the crops of your land, and it will burn and not be quenched. In other words, don't look around and say, we're fine, because punishment is coming. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to, your, to other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. Heavy dose of sarcasm right here. Yeah, go ahead. Just, just have all these sacrifices. You'd go for it. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, you remember, I, I didn't just talk about burnt offerings and sacrifices. I did give commands for those, but I didn't just talk about that. But I gave them this command. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backwards and not forward from the time your ancestors left Egypt until now. Day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets. But they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their ancestors. When you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. Therefore say to them, this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to correction. Truth has perished and has vanished from their lips. And this is a famous phrase of Jeremiah. He says, truth has perished. People have become corrupt that they're not willing to speak the truth. Cut off your hair and throw it away. Take up a lament on the barren heights, for the Lord has rejected and abandoned this generation that is under his wrath. And he goes on, if you read the next verses there in Jeremiah chapter 7, that there's this valley that is across there from from Jerusalem, where a lot of these idols and these pagan temples were. Some of them Solomon had set up, some of them had been set up in the meantime. So that valley is going to be destroyed, it's going to be terrible, and there's judgment that I'm bringing in all this because you just will not submit yourselves to following me. And that's uh, Jeremiah's temple sermon there. If you read verse 20, or chapter 26 of Jeremiah, what happens is they, um, it says after Jeremiah got done speaking at the temple, whether it's this time or another time that he's there and says something similar, what happens is you can imagine the people say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Ooh, this, we can't let Jeremiah be saying this stuff. He can't talk about this kind of stuff, that there's going to be punishment. No way, we're not going to do this. And they arrest Jeremiah, some want to kill him, some want to execute him there at this point in time. But there's a few step forward and say, wait a minute, there's times where God, and they give examples, where people did repent and God did not bring the disaster that he promised. And we're not going to accomplish anything by executing Jeremiah right now. 
maybe we need to listen just a bit. And some of that is short-lived because, um, and it isn't the religious leaders that say that, it's others that come. And it's, read Jeremiah 26, you see the whole story unfold there. But what ha- the gist of it is, is that Jeremiah is called to say some really convicting things to the people that are coming to the temple that day. And it's not well-received. And it's not unlike the other prophets. Uh, On Wednesday night, we've been spending some time in the prophets because there's just not enough time here to go through them. But if you look at at Amos, for example, you see some of the same things that come up over and over again. Amos chapter 5 says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring burnt me burnt offerings and grain offerings. I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. So even though you guys come to the temple and you look like everything's great, you look like you're, you're, you're doing good on the outside, but he says, Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But this is what he wants. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And just imagine that. Think of a stream in your mind, a stream that's beautiful, that is fast, that, that moves. He says, that, that's, that's what I want from you. That's what I want because this religious ritual, these sacrifices, all this stuff you're supposed to bring, what it's supposed to do is change your heart. It's not an end in and of itself. It's not like you bring the sacrifice, you bring the offering and say, all right, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I'm out. I'm good. Woohoo! It's like these, all of these things that God has given you, are designed to teach you about God so that you know Him, you change your heart. And what I want is for justice to roll like a river, righteousness, or doing right like a never-failing stream. That's what God is looking for. That's the end product. Is that religious ritual changes us to look like God and how we interact with one another. Um, This is, uh, David Eater brought this up when he was uh, teaching Amos on Wednesday night. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., he shares, let justice roll like a river. You know where he got that? From Amos. Yeah, let justice roll like a river. Let it be something that is just this great force that cannot be stopped from his people. Look at, um, here's Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 and 8. Um, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Olive oil is expensive. If any of you buy olive oil and use it, it's, it's very expensive. 10,000 rivers of olive oil. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Again, Micah here is referring to practice of idolatry of offering children to these gods it says is that what god wants he has shown you immortal what is good and what does the lord require of you to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your god that's what god is looking for in other words all these sacrifices that god has commanded you to make they're not the end in and of itself what they're supposed to do is teach you about god so that you learn to act justly Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants from you. That's the end game, is that your heart be transformed, your heart be changed. And this is how you interact with each other. This is, as I've shared before many times, our spiritual maturity is seen in how we treat others. That's what you see. The prophets share that clearly. 
And so let's skip to Jeremiah 31. I want to share, I want to read a little bit more here. So go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, because something that the prophets do is they share something that uh, they, they try to call people back to, to, Israel, to, to God, but they do something else. And I'll read that here in just a minute. But I want us to think about this before I read uh, what uh, Jeremiah 31 says. But just think about this. What if we came to assembly one Sunday and there was somebody that was standing out front and somebody that um, maybe didn't have a last name that was uh, very well regarded, but quite the opposite, like Jeremiah, and stood out in front as we were walking in and said, do you realize that I know God knows what's going on in your hearts, what God's really doing in, in your lives and, and how the idolatry that is there is that God is really not the center of your life, that there's something else. And he looks right at you and he looks right at me and he starts naming things. And we're like, wait a minute, how on earth did this guy know this? How on earth is that possible? He says, not only that, but do you care about the orphans, the widows, the justice, the foreigners? How do you treat foreigners that come to Montana? How do you interact like that? Does God see you? God sees and does godliness, is it shown in your interaction with people that are less fortunate? And whenever we, something I think about whenever I hear the prophets or spend some time in the prophets is, um, how do I respond and how should you respond when someone tells us, whether it be God's word or whether it be someone sharing with us, a sin that they see in our lives, how we respond to that makes all the difference in the world. If we get angry, if we develop a hard heart, if we go the other direction, then what we're doing is we see that we are not very much different, maybe at all, than many, many in history that where God has sent a prophet and they have, um, they have abused and, and um, ridiculed those prophets. We can do the same thing today. And we hear the words of God and we get upset and we, res- we, re- um, we respond to that poorly. We're doing the same thing. But something that's important, and this is an analogy that I heard recently that I, it was really uh, it was good to think about, is that think about this from a medical standpoint. If I go to the doctor and I have some blood tests done, the doctor says, oh, wait a minute here, we got something wrong, and go through the tests, and I see that I have been diagnosed with cancer. I've got a choice at that point in time. I can say, all right, I will submit to more tests. I will submit to healing because, to your care because I know that that's going to provide healing long-term. Or that's my best shot at providing healing. Or I can say, forget that. I don't care what that says. I don't have cancer, and I am going to totally ignore this. Now, that second response, we would think, what on earth, Chris? Don't respond to the doctor that way. That's terrible. That's not how this works. You can't heal unless you admit that there's cancer there. And what Jeremiah is doing is saying, people, there is cancer in you. I know you can't see it on the outside right now, but it's going to destroy you, and it's there. And the people essentially look at him and say, forget you. I don't believe that. I'm out. I don't care what you have to say, Jeremiah. In fact, because you said that, we're going to try to destroy you. We're going to destroy the messenger. So as people, as I said, if we read the prophets and we do not relate, then we're not reading the prophets because the prophets speak to our heart, what really makes us tick. So look at Jeremiah chapter 31, and I'm going to start reading in verse 31. 
uh, something here that uh, is uh, where Jeremiah um, gives a little picture of what the future may look like, or future will look like. Look at Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and lead, to lead them out of Egypt because they broke the, my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. So in other words, this isn't going to be a kingdom that is surrounded by physical borders where Every, you, can, you can tell who's in, who's out, all that sort of thing. What this is, is this is a kingdom made up of people that genuinely know me. It's different, right? For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moons and stars to shine by night, and who stirs up the seas so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all that they have done, declares the Lord. And he continues on there, but his point is this. Carlos last Sunday talked about shalom. This idea of we as Christians are part of the solution. That's what we're called to be. Part of the solution to see that broken world around us and to bring peace, to bring people together. That's what we're called to be here in this life. And Jeremiah is saying, hey, there's going to be a time. I know you can't see it now. I know it's hard to imagine right now. But there's going to be a time where God's going to bring his kingdom full circle. And there's going to be a peaceful, wonderful spiritual kingdom that he has. When you fast forward to Acts chapter 2 on, you see this happen. Jews and Gentiles, people that fought, people that hated, hated each other, were able to come together and worship God and show, look, even though there's all these differences among us, we have something in common, even though we're completely different in every other way that this world would see. We have something in common. That Jesus Christ died for my sins... And I have something to share as part of this community, this shalom, this peace. Jeremiah prophesied and said, as long as this, as God, if God can create this world, he can do this. And so that's the, one of the great things that we can take from the book of Jeremiah, is ask ourselves, am I one that is part of that peace? Am I bringing peace to others? Am I bringing unity? Am I bringing people back into God's kingdom? Or am I one that is part of the problem that is continually destroying now, that's something that we look at ourselves. Who am I going to be? Who am I going to be? And God calls all of us to be people that are part of the solution, that are um, bringing, um, bringing peace into the kingdom of God. Man, beautiful things to consider. All of us fall short of that in some ways. But the great thing to remember is God is good. He's got his kingdom. And God's kingdom is not in danger. And we can jump in and be a part of it and be excited about whatever God is doing in the lives of, of ourselves and the people around us. If you'd like to become a Christian today and join that kingdom, or you would like prayers, you're welcome to head to the back. And uh, we have one elder here today. The other two are out sick. But uh, I'll be back there and and, uh, be glad to pray with you. Let's stand and sing together.